Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series today, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, with a message entitled, Falling Away. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm of the opinion that the parable of the sower is the central text telling us why it is that some people fall away from the Christian faith and why it is that some people remain. The subject, that is the subject of apostasy or apostatizing from the faith, well, that's often troubled Christians. Those that fall away, are we to assume that they were not Christians in the first place and what would that mean? You know, many of you who are Canadian know quite well the name Charles Templeton. And if you don't know his personal story, you may have heard of his famous book, Farewell to God. But did you know that in the 1940s, Templeton joined Billy Graham, preaching in a number of evangelistic crusades, and by all accounts, Templeton was a very effective evangelist, leading many people to faith in Christ. But somewhere in the late 1940s, Templeton started to go in a different direction than Billy Graham. He was overwhelmed by doubts about the Christian faith, and and by 1957, he openly declared that he had become an agnostic, and later he went further declaring himself to be an atheist. And for those of you who know his story, you may also know that in an interview with Lee Strobel shortly before his death, when Strobel asked him about Jesus, Templeton called Jesus the greatest human being who had ever lived and then said that Jesus was the most important thing in his life. And then stuttering, he said, I adore him. Strobel was taken aback and asked Templeton to explain. And Templeton went on to say that everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. And then at the end of the interview, Templeton began to to weep. And then fighting to compose himself said, I miss him. And then having composed himself, Templeton said, enough of that and wouldn't speak further about it. Shortly after that, Templeton died, having abandoned God and having abandoned Jesus as his Savior, and and he passed into eternity, having started as one of the most effective evangelists Canada has ever seen, to dying without God and facing the judgment without an advocate. And here's the question. If that could happen to Charles Templeton, could that happen to me? See, I don't know about you, but here's what I think. The seeds of this behavior that leads to falling away, that's in all of us. Now, if it's really possible to be a true Christian and then walk away from Jesus, well, then none of us are safe. And there are those who teach exactly that. And they typically point to texts such as those found in Hebrews 6 and 10, which give the impression, but I hasten to add, don't necessarily have to give that impression. But what can it mean when we are promised eternal life if it is not eternal? And what did Jesus mean when he said, and it's recorded in John 10, 27 to 28, when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Are we then to assume that those given to the Son by the Father can be lost? Can the Father foreknow his own and then lose his own? And where do these questions leave us? You know, if we think we're secure in Christ, I mean, do we then believe that once we've said yes to Jesus, that no matter how we live or what we believe, that we're secure in him? 
Does it mean that Templeton was not really lost, even though he became an atheist? I mean, if that be the case, it would make nonsense out of much of both what Jesus taught and the rest of the New Testament as well. You know, as I've said, I believe that the parable of the sower is the controlling parable that helps us explain eternal life. Now, we've already studied the actual parable itself, and if you've heard me as we've studied Matthew 13, 1 to 9, you heard me say then that Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven had indeed come, but that the results of the message will vary, and even that will vary greatly. But the crowd hasn't understood the parable, and neither have the disciples. And so Matthew 13, verses 18 to 23, gives us a picture of Jesus alone with his disciples, explaining to his disciples the meaning of the parable of the sower. So let's listen as Jesus explains. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty and another thirty. Now, before we get too many details before us, let's remember the original parable. A sower has gone out to sow, and some of the seed fell onto the path. The seed didn't penetrate the soil, and the birds of the air immediately gorged themselves on the seed. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and since it had no depth of soil, when the summer became hot, it died due to lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns choked out the grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it produced a crop, some thirtyfold and sixtyfold and some a hundredfold. And that's our passage. And now Jesus is alone with the disciples, and he's explaining what he meant when he told the parable. So let's pay attention. What does the parable of the sower mean? The sower, even though he doesn't say it here, is Jesus himself. And the seed in his hand, well, that's the word of the kingdom, or as he says in other places in Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom. That means that Jesus was announcing good news. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. That means that the promises of God are all now being fulfilled. Remember that John the Baptist had said that when the kingdom of heaven arrives, the great king will gather the wheat into the barn and will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is, the great king will save his own people from their sins, but he will bring judgment on the heads of the wicked. And then with that, Jesus demonstrates the kingdom has arrived with his miracles and and then preaches the Sermon on the Mount, explaining who it is that receives the kingdom and what kind of people they are. Of course, that message gets increasingly explained as we go through the New Testament. The ultimate expression of the goodness of the kingdom will be seen when it is explained how it is that sinful men and women can have their sins forgiven through Christ's cross and how they can be welcomed into the kingdom and how their lives are changed. But for now, Jesus is simply announcing that God himself has broken into this present age. So repent and receive the good news. That's the seed that's in his hand and he's throwing it out liberally. Okay, that's the sower, it's Jesus, and that's the seed, the message that he preaches. But what are the soils? 
Well, let's look at the middle of verse 19. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Notice that the soil refers to the hearts of the people who listen to the message of Jesus. And the heart is the center of a person's being. This is who the person is, not who they pretend to be. This is the place where decisions are made. This is the seat of his or her emotions. This is where people decide what they love and what they hate. And this is where a person acts completely consistently with who they are. So, for example, let's say you decide to get married or you decide to refrain from marriage. And in most cases, the kind of a decision you make concerning the person you might marry will be consistent with the center of your being. It will demonstrate who you are. Or let's say you decide to quit your job and travel until your money runs out. Well, that also may be consistent with who you are. If you live for money or if you give it all away, it's consistent with who you are. That is, it's consistent with the affections or the passions of your heart. And so Jesus' message about the kingdom hits human hearts. And these human hearts respond authentically or genuinely with who they are. So now let's be very clear. Jesus doesn't tell us why some hearts represent a hardened path and others represent fertile soil. That's not the point of this story. I mean, in order to answer that, we have to go to different places. The point of this story is simply this. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven has truly come and the kingdom in an amazing way has now tumbled into the present hour. And in this time period where we now live, human hearts will respond differently to that same message. Indeed, the response to the message of the kingdom is an authentic indicator of not just who you are, but the state of your spiritual condition. It indicates the exact relationship you have with God and also whether or not you have received the kingdom of heaven. That is, how you respond to the word of Jesus is a picture or a snapshot of your true inner condition. How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, what will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed his power, experienced his love, and declared his praise? Well, Back to the Bible Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify Him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His word of truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayers that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's word of truth and life. Call us today with your gift or for more information about all the ministry resources available to you, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's look at each type of soil. The first in verse 19 representing the hardened soil is not, as some suggest, the Pharisees and people like them who have hardened their hearts to the message. I know we think that because hardened soil should for us, well, it means hardened hearts. The message can't penetrate at all because that person has already rejected Jesus. 
Now, at first that makes sense, but look more closely at the passage. Again, notice the first part of verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. See, Jesus is not portraying a person who rejects him, but rather he's portraying a person who does not understand what he's saying. In the case of the Pharisees, well, they seem to have understood precisely what he's saying. They will be explained in the next parable, that is the parable of the weeds. But this parable, please notice, doesn't tell us about every conceivable response to the message of the kingdom. It explains to us four different responses. That is to say, this is not an exhaustive list of all who respond to Jesus, but it's an accurate picture of four different responses to Jesus. So who is this person represented by the hardened path? I think it's the person who listened to Jesus and may have even liked Jesus. I mean, perhaps they saw him heal and they certainly liked that. Maybe they even liked when he condemned certain sins, like for instance, adultery or divorce or, or something like that. But they never understood his whole message. And I see people like that all the time. I mean, they come to church and they glean some life lessons and there are some things they agree with and some they don't, but the idea of the gospel, the centrality of the cross and the resurrection, the transformed life lived in the power of the spirit, saying no to unrighteousness and, and finding moment by moment delight in the glory of God, well, that just escapes them. And so Satan, with cunning craft, even steals away the little knowledge that they do have. Yes, the kingdom has come and human hearts vary. And says Jesus, some people listening to the message are simply confused. They don't understand it all. And the longer they carry on that way, the more likely they are to lose the message entirely. Satan comes and blinds their eyes and they remain in darkness even after hearing Jesus. Well, the next person represented by the stony ground looks so much like a convert. Again, look at verse 20. You know, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I notice two phrases here. Now, the first is at once, or as the ESV translates it, immediately. And the second, with joy. So here's an individual who hears Christ's message and wastes no time in responding and then shows great happiness. But tough times are coming, and it's, it's coming in the form of persecution. And soon these people, because their roots don't go down deep, and the coming heat is going to kill their faith, and, and they're going to fall away. Look at verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, that's to say, when this person encounters the truth that there is a price to pay, that following Christ demands that they must suffer the displeasures of maybe their families or their work colleagues or even their nation, well, they simply won't pay that price. And in verse 22, Jesus mentions a third possibility. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You know, this person says Jesus has greater concerns other than the concerns of the kingdom. Now, look, if you think about it, all of us have a hierarchy of concerns. That's easy. Here's an example. All of us want the liberty to express ourselves freely. We might also want to keep our jobs. And so when the two are in conflict, then notice that one is going to win out over the other. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. 
That which is your first concern will win over your second concern. And remember, Jesus has already, back in Matthew 10, 37, has said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. See, hierarchy of priorities. There are those whose love for this world supersedes their love of Christ and of his message. Maybe that's you. That's demonstrated in the fact that money and worldly concerns are ultimately still of bigger concern than that of the kingdom. You want what this world offers, and if you have to choose between abandoning everything to follow Jesus and having everything in this life, well, you've made your choice. In truth, you are not like those who fear suffering. You you are among those who are in love with this present age and you've convinced yourself that you can have both, both a love for riches and a love for the kingdom of heaven. But in time, your love of riches are the thistles that will choke out your love for the kingdom. It will happen, says Jesus, in due time. Now look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold in another 60 and another 30. You know, I've often been asked, what is this fruit that Jesus mentions? And some say it's, you know, it's evangelism or the fruit of the Spirit or some other thing. But Jesus is an excellent Old Testament preacher. And he would have been thinking of passages like Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its, listen to this, its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In other words, fruit is simply the way of the righteous. The person who truly believes becomes a righteous man or a woman. Now, the success of that enterprise will vary, some producing more fruit than others, but all who truly believe will be fruitful to some degree. So that's the parable of the sower. But have we understood it even yet? It means that the kingdom of heaven has come, but the results of that message will vary. It also tells us that professing Christians are a mixed bag. Some are not what they appear to be. In other words, this parable teaches us that there are those who appear to be believers, but have a defective heart from the minute that they first believed. And so there's something defective about their faith from the outset. They may nod, they may even pray to receive Jesus as their Savior, but they will fall away. And the reason they fall away is not because it's possible for the elect to fall away. Rather, it's because either they're confused from the beginning, or they're unwilling to pay the price, or they still have an untamed love for this world, which will always compete with their loyalty to Christ. And in time, these underlying heart conditions are going to surface, and these people will fall away. And that's the explanation to their apostasy. It's not that some believed truly and lost their salvation. It's that something was defective from the outset, and that defect would, given enough time, surface. And once this is understood, it will help us to understand what's going on. Some people who seemed zealous and joyful were eager at the beginning, and and maybe among those who had not counted the cost and are unwilling to pay the price. Now, historically, ancient Christians spoke about the visible and the invisible church. 
The visible church is that which can be observed, but the invisible church is that which happens in the hearts and the lives of God's people. It's the condition of the soil in which the good news was planted. And that's why you sometimes hear questions like, you know, why are there so many hypocrites among believers? And here, listen, Jesus answers that. Now, note a caution. This passage does not teach us that if your heart is not right, it means your heart will never be right. God can change your heart. Weeds can be pulled up. Rocks can be removed. Hard ground can be broken up. There is hope for anyone who seeks for Christ. But professing Christians are a mixed bag. That's what Jesus is teaching. But this passage also tells us that true believers will produce fruit. I think Jesus answers here one of the most perplexing questions that Christians have often asked. Why is it that some fall away? In his answer, there was something defective from the outset, from the start. Even though their conversion looked so real to us, the hidden underlying cause of their action is that the soil of their heart was unprepared for the message of the kingdom. And by the way, This passage should give great hope to all of us who did understand the message, who did count the cost, who did repent of our love for this world, and who did cling to Christ with a sincere heart. It assures us that we will persevere to the very end. We will say, as the hymn writer said, when the death dew lies cold upon my brow, if ever I love thee, I'll say, my Jesus, tis now. Take heart. Jesus has never lost one single person who has come to him. True believers really do bear the fruit of righteousness. Scripture assures us of that. It's a mark of believers. You will recognize us by our fruit. So how about you? Where do you stand? He who has ears, let him hear. John, I just go back to the beginning of your message because I think it's an enlightening one in respect to the fruit uh, that you're talking about. Uh, Many people would say Templeton and others that appeared to be Christians and did so much perhaps for the church or evangelism, what about all their fruit that seemed to be so apparent in their lives? Yeah, Ben, that's a good question. I mean, in terms of the fruit of evangelism, and of course I've said in this message that's not what Jesus is referring to. But I know that Templeton had, you know, in that sense, they were genuine converts. People were one to Christ through his message. That's undeniable. And and long afterwards, there were individuals in this country who argued that I came to Christ uh, because of the ministry of of Templeton. So that's undeniable. But uh, Jesus is saying something else. He's saying that something which we can't see, which is deeply alive in the heart, this love of darkness is not conquered, and that's the problem. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for joining us this week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The faithful, accurate teaching of the Bible impacts lives. Krista wrote, I came across Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld a few weeks ago when I was looking for biblical advice on a specific topic. And what a blessing this ministry has been ever since. I've listened to many podcasts, discovered In Doubt, and have recommended both to friends. I appreciate the faithfulness to biblical teachings, the depth of the teachings themselves, deep but explained in a way easy to understand. 
Back to the Bible is so appreciative to all those who help make the daily Bible teaching program happen. It's not one person, but thousands with a commitment to the importance of teaching God's Word. Your gift, your prayers are critical. So please continue to support the program in your area so that others like Krista might grow closer in their walk with Jesus every day. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.